Amen, amen, amen. Well, <laughs> turn with me, if you would, to uh, Philippians, the book of Philippians, and we will continue our studies in the book of Philippians. Man, the Lord is great. Amen. We are so blessed and we're so privileged to be able to worship the Lord in freedom and um, to be able to have a service like this. There are parts of the country where folks are unable to worship freely for fear of persecution, for fear of being thrown into jail, for fear of not only being inconvenienced, but being killed. So let's remember our persecuted brothers and sisters uh, who are going through uh, imminent danger just to hold a worship service. Some places underground, like in China um, and other places uh, in our world, especially in the Middle East, uh, you could be hauled off and executed just for heralding the gospel and just for having a worship service that honors Christ. So pray with me as we get into the word and let's ask for the spirit to bless this time and and that we would be helped by the Lord. Father God, I thank you for this great word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is truth, that you are faithful and true, that you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. You will not let us down. And even in the face of times in which we live where Christianity is becoming more and more unpopular, even in our culture. Lord, your gospel is advancing and nothing can stop it. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your truth. We pray that your spirit would come upon the preaching of the word, that you would help me to to get out of the way and that your spirit would bring your word and grant me self-forgetfulness and exaltation of Christ, who is King and Lord over all. And I pray that you would tailor a message for each of our hearts and that you would bring faith into our souls and boldness into our spiritual spines and that we would be strengthened as the people of God. And if there are those who do not know you here, that they would be Uh, Lord, that they would sense that God is in this place, that you are at work among your people. And there's something powerful going on here as the people of God gather and worship. So we pray your blessing in Jesus name. Amen. So we live in a cancel culture today. It seems like our culture is just about ready to cancel anything that is out of step with um, its agenda, its values, its norms. And what that ends up looking like for the most part is we live in a culture that's progressively seeking to silence Christianity and silence biblical morality so that if you actually hold to a biblical understanding of the life in the womb being a human being deserving of protection and sanctity and and, and to be treated with care and protected, if you believe that, you're on the out. 
You might be considered a bigot. You might be considered somebody who's just seeking to destroy the rights of a woman. But the church historically has always held that position. It's always been the position of the church that the life in the womb is a human being. That's why John the Baptist left in the womb when Jesus came around in his mother's womb. John the Baptist was in the womb of Elizabeth and he jumps for joy. Or maybe you have a biblical understanding of marriage being between a man and a woman. One man, one woman for the glory of God. That is God's design. But if you say that in our culture, canceled. How many, how many shows and programs have been canceled? I'm thinking of, you know, the movie Unplanned. As soon as it came out, Hollywood canceled, right? Streaming platforms canceled. They don't want any of that because we live in a culture that is progressively more and more hostile. You hold a biblical view of sexuality and the holiness and dignity of sex in marriage, that is something that's sneered at and scoffed at. And, you, and, and you're looked at askance in our culture for holding to that. And I am reminded afresh that the gospel cannot be canceled. And the word of God will not be stopped. And the purposes of God in our world are advancing no matter what the persecution, no matter who wants to silence it, no matter who says it's out of date and out of touch, God's purposes are advancing and His Word is to be heralded. His Word is powerful and effectual and it's life transforming. And the Bible says His Word's alive and His Spirit moves as his word is proclaimed, and the gospel is unstoppable. And today we're going to read in the book of Philippians that the gospel could not be hindered by persecution. It could not be hindered by Paul's imprisonment. And he is wanting to communicate to the Philippians that what he's doing in prison is no accident. But the very purpose of God for the spreading of the gospel to the glory of God's name and the emboldening of the church. And nobody's going to cancel that. Paul said, I thank God for my chains. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. That's his confidence as he sits in a prison cell shackled to a praetorian guard. And we're going to get into how this looks in just three points. We're going to look at gospel advance, gospel boldness, and gospel rejoicing. And as we read our text, starting in verse 12, I want you to look for that and see if you can find it in that passage as I read it. Verse 12. And this is the holy, inerrant, inspired Word of God. This is the life-giving Word of God that's just like arrows into your heart to build up your soul. So listen to the Word of God. I want you to know, brothers, he wants them to know something, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard 
and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Change the world, Apostle Paul. Change the world. Light it on fire for the gospel with that kind of talk. This is a man in prison. And this is a man who knows that the gospel will not stop. The gospel will advance in spite of persecution, in spite of suffering, in spite of hard times, and in spite of the things in our lives that sometimes we feel like we're just caught in something and we can't get out. And maybe God has you there for the very reason of making the name of Jesus known in hard situations, through difficult suffering, through hardships. So we're going to look at this one at a time. Gospel advance. And if you notice, verse 12, it's right there. I want you to know, Paul's writing from prison to the Philippians, and he wants them to know. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served the advance of the gospel. It's been for the advance of the gospel. So we don't normally associate getting thrown into prison with an advance of anything except for suffering, right? But Paul's actually looking at this like a different way. He's saying, yeah, that's the way the world would look at it, but I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm here at, at Rome for a reason. And God had promised Paul when he first saved him, Jesus said to him, I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer and he's going to take my name to the Gentiles. And he's going to bring the gospel to Rome. And Paul thought maybe he'd get there another way, but God had a plan to send him to prison because there he would be chained to the Praetorian Guard, which was the very emperor's bodyguards. And every six hours, somebody would be rotating through to hear the gospel. And Paul didn't look at it like, I'm, I'm, I'm chained uh, to them. He was like, they're chained to me. And I'm going to bring the gospel. And the gospel became known, as we're going to see, throughout the whole guard. So Paul is excited and he wants the Philippians who haven't heard from him for a while. Because this isn't like we're not living in the days where we had email and we had even the Pony Express wasn't coming through there. It took years sometimes to get feedback. So they were probably wondering, what's going on with Paul? Is he in prison? Has he been killed yet? Has he been beheaded? They're, they love him. He's the one who planted that church. And so they're just naturally wanting to know and they're concerned. And Paul's like, this is how I want you to see it. What has happened to me has been for the advance of the gospel. And it's no wonder that the, the gospel overtook Rome. And who would have thought in God's providence that the gospel would come to Rome, incarcerated in prison, and then bust loose and blitz the whole empire? 
And one day, about 300 years later, it would become the official religion. Christianity would be adopted because that's how far it penetrated. A pagan culture that was hostile to it. And Paul, in a few years, is going to actually be beheaded for the gospel. And even that would not stop the gospel. So, so let's remember that these are times in which Christianity is, is, no, is not being befriended by the surrounding environment. Rome is hostile. The Jews have been hostile, except for the ones getting saved. And this is a prickly situation. Perhaps you find yourself thinking, I mean, every day I feel like I'm, I'm fighting battles. I'm thinking through things. I'm having to, to, to be challenged in my, the very core values of what I believe about who God is and who, what sin is and what God's design is for things. And you are being put there for the very purpose of lovingly, graciously communicating truth to people. And sometimes that lands you in hot water, but don't add offense to the gospel by how you approach it. Be filled with the Spirit. Be like Paul, bold, but loving. And later he's going to talk about the Spirit in which we preach the gospel and stand for Christ. It's to be out of goodwill and love. Verse 12, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is the Apostle Paul saying, don't worry, guys. God's in this. God's got this. Don't worry, church at Philippi. I've seen the Lord deliver again and again and again. I mean, they all know the stories of Paul being lowered out of the, you know, Jerusalem uh, in a basket. They know the stories of, of his near escapes. They know his stonings. They know his constant imprisonments. They know Paul's been here before. And Paul's reminding them, God's in this. This is the apostle who wrote Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God's working in everything that happens to us for his good purposes and for his glory. That's amazing to think about. I mean, think about that. That means no matter what you're going through, God's using it for good. One writer said, the good news about my trials is that God is forcing them to bow to his gospel purposes and do good unto me by improving my character and making me more conformed to the image of Christ. God's molding and shaping you just like he did Paul, just like he's doing with the Philippians, he's going to do that in your life through the things you go through. So rather than looking at them like, oh man, I've got to go through this again. I've got to do this again. Look at them the way Paul does. This is an opportunity for the gospel to shine. This is an opportunity for Christ to be made much of. This is an opportunity to watch the, the miracle working God who's sovereign over the earth work in your life and people will see your response, trusting God through hardship, and they're going to ask questions. That's exactly what happened to Paul. That's exactly what we th see throughout all history. 
God's in the business of working all things for our good and his glory. And that's just the way God does business. I mean, think about, think about uh, my sermon flying all over. Um, think about uh, Joseph, right? Joseph in the Old Testament was coat of many colors. His brother, uh, his brothers didn't like him very much because he's the favored child by his father. All his brothers are just irritated with him. And he tells them one day, hey, uh, you know, I'm getting this vision that everybody's going to bow down to me. And one day I'm going to be in charge. Like, I don't know what it's about. And they hate him even more. And they conspire against him to throw him into prison. And they toss him into a pit. And then they see a bunch of travelers coming by and they sell him into slavery. And so Joseph went from being a dreamer to being cast off by his brothers to being put into slavery. And then he's doing really good in there. The Lord's giving him favor and, and things are going well. And then all of a sudden he's falsely accused and thrown into jail. And now he's in prison and he's in prison for many years much of his life is spent suffering and in hardship. God's still blessing him in the midst of it. But then he has an opportunity to interpret the dreams of two of the prisoners. And he does it spot on. So much so that a couple years later, those very prisoners that were set free, or one of them was, the other one was beheaded, um, just as Joseph had interpreted. So he gets uh, a, you know, word to Pharaoh, who's having some strange dreams a couple years later. And Pharaoh actually wants to get wisdom. Who, who can interpret these dreams? They're strange. And so he goes to Joseph, and Joseph interprets it spot on. And God really puts it on the heart of Pharaoh. Like, who's like this man whose spirit God is in, who's able to interpret dreams? And he takes Joseph, puts him as number two over all of Egypt. And Joseph went from being sold into slavery to prison to a place of total supremacy over Egypt, number two in command, to save his brothers and sisters through a famine that would come. God raised him up in that way. And if you took one snapshot of what was happening in Joseph's life, you would think like, this is awful. God can't be in this. And many of you are in here today thinking that about something you're going through right now. God can't be in this. God cannot be in this thing that's happening right now. And I want to encourage you that not only does God do that kind of thing and work it for good, but as in Joseph's case, he looked straight at his brothers when he, uh, they had to come to him for food. And he said to him, brothers, don't be afraid. I'm not mad at you. I forgive you. And you know what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. The same action of them selling him into slavery, God had purpose for good, even though their intentions were evil. Who can do that but our sovereign God? That's what he does. Verse 13. Notice that in verse 13, we see that the result of this kind of gospel advancing is ultimately expressed in this verse so that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul sees that he's not just saying and blowing smoke, hey, 
The gospel is advancing. He's saying every single person that I get a chance to share the gospelness with is actually being made aware that my imprisonment is not for myself, it's for Christ. That the name of Jesus is being made much of. That Christ is getting glory. That Christ is getting honor. That Christ is getting praise. And he is testifying to people every six hours, a new person. He's like, okay, time to go. And he brings the gospel. So much so that the whole rest of the people, not only the guard, but all the rest, it says in verse 13, realized that his imprisonment was for Christ. Now, when I think about this, I think about my life. Like, if somebody were to take a look at my life, would they see Jesus being made much of? Would they see the gospel being made much of? What about our lives? Uh, When people look at us, do they see this kind of contagious Christianity? Do they see this kind of love for Jesus that just radiates that you can't wait to share the Lord with them? Or is the Lord kind of sidelined and marginalized, you know, was peppered over a prayer, over some, you know, dinner or something like that? Or is Jesus the center? Because Jesus is the blazing center for Paul. Paul did not see anything that happened to him apart from the vision of the gospel going forward. And so every opportunity he took, he seized it. And I wonder if that's our attitudes in where the Lord has put us in our spheres of influence. Moms, are you here today thinking that as a mom, your role is to shine a light on Jesus, to display Jesus to your children, to those in your family? To be that salt, that light, that contagious Christianity that just really affects your family and and baptizes them with the love of Christ. That's your privilege as a mom. Teenagers who are in the room or or, or children in the room who who don't realize uh, that they've been placed in school for the very purpose of being salt and light. That's why God has you there. Just like Paul had a reason for being in prison, you have a reason for being right where you're at. And you've got an opportunity to share Jesus with your friends. And in every moment, um, if your eyes are open, there's opportunities all around us where God has placed us in a specific place, time, season to work. And it's a divine appointment. And we often don't think like Paul that every opportunity is a divine appointment, right? We often think, you know, of, of uh, our lives of just trying to kind of get from point A to point B. But when you're breathing prayers, Paul starts this letter in prayer for them so that they're in tune with the Holy Spirit. And, and when we're breathing prayers, Lord, how do you want to use me today? You encounter a problem? Lord, help. I need your help. And I want to work and I want to shine for Christ in the midst of this trial. God will do that for you. God will meet you in the trial, use you to be salt, use you to flavor the gospel with that gospel salt in your sphere of influence or to be a shining light. Verse 13. Not only does the imperial guard see it, but all the rest see that this imprisonment is for Christ. 
And God actually uses a prison cell as the very vehicle to bring the gospel to Rome. You don't know what God's going to do in your life. You don't know where he's going to put you from one day to the next. But the adventure, the joy, the blessing is realizing that God has a purpose in it all. He's behind it all. And it's all working towards this glorifying of him and magnifying of Jesus. And then you get the joy. There's nothing greater than having a purpose that fuses everything that you do in life. And Paul was like that. That's why he could say at the end of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned to be content when things are going well and when things are going terribly. When I've got a lot or I've got a little. Is that your heart? Are you, are you content with where God has put you? Because God is at the center. Jesus is the center of your life. And that's the kind of gospel-centeredness that Paul had. So we see the gospel advancing all the way from a prison cell to Rome. But then we wonder, you know, how do we get motivated to be excited about that? What, what actually has to happen in our soul for us to come from being apathetic, from being like ho-hum, back to the drawing board, or Christianity is just boring and it's a snooze fest and we could care less about taking Jesus to the world to, to having it the blazing center of your life and the kindling of your soul. And that's point number two, gospel boldness. Look at verse 14, if you would. This is the second result of the gospel advancing. It says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what's the result of Paul's imprisonment? Boldness infusing the church like wildfire. Like his imprisonment is actually beginning to encourage the Christians at Rome so much so that he's so excited to write back to the Philippians, like, you got to get wind of this. God is actually moving in a way where my imprisonment is actually encouraging all the Christians in Rome to begin to preach Jesus. And have you ever noticed that that's what happens throughout church history? A couple of weeks back, I talked about uh, Jim Elliott, who said he is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He gave his life to go bring the gospel to the Aka Indians, and he was killed not very long after his arrival. But news of that story and the Aka Five that were killed hit the papers and began to spread throughout all of Christendom, and Christians saw the boldness that he had, and they began to pick up the mantle of missionary work and it started a wave of missions that still has not stopped to this day in 1950 in the 1950s god began to work there just like with paul and it's it, it's radiating through all of christendom to this day that's why there's missionaries all over the place and they have boldness to be to be in a place where they might lose their lives 
What's gonna, what, what would have to happen to somebody to get that kind of fire in their soul? It's a gospel boldness that comes from seeing another brother just on fire for Christ, living for the Lord, sold out, confident in Christ, living that out through suffering. It's like a contagious Christianity that just infects everything it touches for the glory of God. That's Paul's heart. And he wants that to happen again and again and again. And, and, and notice that he says, most of the brothers, he's hoping more and more. And then in Philippi and more churches, and there, there's more churches that are going to read the letter to the Philippians. That's how they circulated this stuff. They, they, they wrote letters so that the church could be edified and encouraged. And how many times have you sat under a testimony and just been like, oh, I'm, it's ready. I'm ready to go share the gospel. Just seeing somebody get excited about Jesus and, and hearing of God's work in saving people. And you know what happened with the Aka Five who had uh, died and the missionaries who went back? They went to the same village, to the same uh, Indians and preached the gospel and it broke out a revival. And the very murderers of Jim Elliott and Nate Sane and all those folks got converted to Christianity. And there is a church present in, in that uh, area in Ecuador to this day. Because of the faithful work. And the gospel cannot be stopped. And fear is what the enemy would do in your soul to keep you from preaching the gospel. And Paul is like, look at my life and see that it's an emblem of God's glory in the midst of suffering. And I want you to be bold. Don't be afraid, but pray for boldness. I was thinking about this idea of how it's kind of like wildfire when the church gets caught fire to a passion to bring the name of Jesus to the nations. It's like wildfire in California uh, is very dry and there's a lot of high winds. And so all it takes is a little ember, a little ember to just kind of flicker off into some dry brush. And what happens? All of a sudden, the flames are going, and the flames are raging, and, and flames are jumping freeways and, and, and climbing up the hillside, and the fire's out of control. And all it takes is, is a little ember in the soul of a, a man of God or a woman of God who falls in love with the gospel, who loves Jesus, who it's like kindling going into fire, going into kindling and just spreading like wildfire through the church. And people begin to just get contagious with that boldness. That's what we want. We want that kind of boldness in our life. And we got to pray for it. And ultimately, that's what the church does again and again all through the book of Acts. I mean, think about Peter and uh, John after they healed a man at the gate called Beautiful. They, they said, you know, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get up and rise. And the man who is a cripple begging alms rises up and he's healed and everybody's praising God and the, the authorities don't like it and they throw Peter and John into prison and they start questioning him. We don't want you talking about the name of Jesus. We don't want you talking about this Christ. We don't want you talking about this. And, and ultimately they said, we're either going to obey God or man. 
and surely we're going to obey God in this. And so they couldn't silence them, so they kicked him out, and they said, we're going to, you know, through pain of death next time, and warn them sternly. And what does the church do? They, they don't cower in fear, but they pray. Listen to their prayer. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves against them and the rulers who gathered against uh, the Lord against his anointed for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. And now, and here's their prayer for boldness. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and, and do signs and wonders that are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness and that's what needs to happen we need to pray as a church and and God will begin to fill the church with boldness and fill you with the Holy Spirit and when the Spirit gets a hold of your heart and your life boldness just gets injected into your soul and you begin to live a life willing to risk for the sake of Christ willing to take the name to, of Jesus when it's going to be unpopular that's what they did Persecution only spread the church, spread the gospel, spread the news, and, and, and as the disciples scattered, the word began to go forth. And that's what happens. Peter got thrown into prison. And he, uh, James was killed, Peter was thrown into prison, and the church began to pray for him and intercede. And he was like shackled to a, a whole bunch of guards, like four uh, squads of guards around him. And at midnight, in the middle of the church, an angel opens all the doors, gets Peter, takes him out, and Peter goes to the nearest house filled with Christians. And there's a little girl there named Rhonda, and she opens the door, sees Peter, freaks out, and like kind of runs back to everybody, Peter's here, Peter's here! And, and she's all excited, and they're like, oh, no, 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 that's his angel, you're seeing things, don't worry about it. And they were just praying for him, and then he's at their doorstep, and they're like, no, 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 God doesn't do stuff like that. And, and, and it's Peter there. Because God actually works in the midst of those kind of circumstances to produce boldness in his church, and as we pray, God will do a work even in the midst of suffering, persecution, and hardship. And my prayer is that God would baptize us with boldness, that the Spirit of God would come upon us, and that we could not help but share the gospel of Christ. You can kill God's ministers, but you will only usher them into glory. You can try to smother the gospel, 
but it will not be chained. You can try to destroy the church, but not even the gates of Hades will prevail against the church. So ultimately, the gospel is unstoppable. And that's why Paul could say later in Philippians chapter 3, he could say, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered loss, the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So, so Paul is just saying, listen, if I lost everything but I had Jesus, that would be enough. There's nothing better in your life than having Christ. And Paul wants you to be in touch with the reality that to live is for Christ and to die is only gain for the believer because he's ushered into the presence of Jesus. And one day, brothers and sisters, we're all going to be in new heaven and new earth with the Lord, glorified bodies, no suffering, no pain, no, no uh, accusations, no persecution. The Lord will reign and his people will be there with him and it will be joyful and, and, and the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard uh, the things that the Lord has prepared for those who love him. It's going to be glorious. And death will be no more. Pain will be no more. The former things will have passed away. Behold, all things will have become new. And Paul wants the Philippians to know, and he wants us to know that Jesus is worth living for and he's worth dying for. And only the Spirit of God can produce in your soul the mantra to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that's the kind of boldness that affected the church. But ultimately, this didn't come without difficulty because as the church gets stirred up to preach the gospel, Often, the gospel's not preached with good motives all the time. Some people have good motives, others don't. And Paul still rejoiced. Look with me in our last point about gospel rejoicing, rejoicing in the proclamation of good news. Verse 15, and we'll, we'll go to the end of verse 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here, put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So this is what's happening. Paul is still in prison. And he's hearing reports that some people are preaching the gospel out of love for Christ and goodwill. And then there's these others who have saw Paul as sort of a rival and they were competing with his ministry. I mean, the idea of a church being jealous of the bigger church down the road was not like, you know, something that just got invented yesterday. This was the kind of thing that was going on even in those apostolic times where there would be mixed motives. Some preachers preach the gospel because they want to be better than the next guy. They didn't have a love for Jesus. They didn't have a love for the gospel. They didn't have a love to see people get saved. They wanted their names to be made much of. They, they wanted to rival with Paul. 
And Paul has such a heart for the Gospel that he's like, if the Gospel gets preached with clarity, amen. I don't care about their motives ultimately. God will judge their motives. But you know what? People might be getting saved because the Gospel is being preached. And motives matter. Make no mistake about it. If you're sharing the Gospel, you could be sharing it with bad motives and God cares about that. But the Apostle Paul is basically saying that I care about the Gospel going forward. And you'd be amazed what the Lord could do with somebody who's just willing to share the Gospel. But you'd be surprised also with what He does with folks who have ulterior motives. I think of the story of Elias Keach, who was the son of a Baptist preacher in the 17th century in England. And he wasn't a Christian. His father was, though, a famous preacher. And so he would dress up in his clothes because preaching was a good means of making money in those days. And he would dress up as his father. He would go to churches and he would take his father's sermons and start preaching the gospel. And then he would get his paycheck. And ultimately, he kept doing that. It was kind of a successful deal for him. And then one day, he was preaching one of his father's sermons, and like a thunderbolt right to his heart, he was convicted of his sins. And as he's preaching his father's sermon about the gospel, that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross for our sins, that He was raised up from the dead for our sins, that He was the only Savior and the only hope that he had for the rescue of his soul, he sensed the Spirit of God on him, convicting him of his sin, convicting him of the judgment that was coming, that he was on the high road headed to hell, that he was going to be judged for all eternity, and it all clicked as he was mocking and preaching a gospel that he didn't believe and the Spirit of God took a hold of his heart and he was regenerated right then and the Spirit changed his life and he repented and he became a, he became a gospel preacher after that with goodwill, with love, in preaching a sermon from his father out of false motives. And I want to tell you that's the powerful work of the Spirit at work in the preaching of the gospel and Paul knew that. So he said, listen, if these brothers want to preach out of bad motives, preach Christ and I'll be happy. And I'll rejoice because his heart was that the gospel would move forward. And we've got a lesson there for us, right? Because our motives matter. We don't want to be worried about what the church down the street is doing and what their, you know, what, what their methods are and, and kind of judging them and worried about their their church growth and not, you know, God would have us preach the gospel with goodwill and preach it boldly and preach it with a holy boldness that just lights a fire in Smithfield for the glory of Christ and begins to change people. I had an opportunity this week just to kind of walk through the city a little bit and, and talk with folks. And it was it was so encouraging. And I'm just thinking, Lord, Lord, this is an opportunity for us to take the name of Jesus to these folks who need to hear, who may have never heard. Or maybe they heard a, a, a view of the gospel that was just shallow and without power. They didn't hear that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the King of glory, that Jesus was totally human and fully God when He was born of a virgin. 
And that because He's fully human, He can die for our sins. And because He's fully God, He can pay for our sins. The infinite magnitude of your sin before a holy God can be paid for. Jesus paid it all on a cross. And all to Him we owe. And anyone who puts their trust in Him can be saved. And like Elias Keach, even if they're mocking the Gospel, who knows what the Lord might do with a gospel word that turns into an arrow and pierces the heart. Maybe there's some listening online or even here today who, who need to hear a word that they've been running from God, that they've been living a life on, uh, of sin and rebellion, and that God is going to judge one day, that God in His holy wrath and His justice will meet that with judgment one day. But there's good news. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. So what do you do if that's you? And you're here today. And you realize, I don't, I don't really know if I'm a Christian. I don't, what, what you're saying, I'm not in touch with that. What you're saying, I'm, I'm not feeling. There's, there's a sense in which I know I'm wrong before God which I know these things have been kind of boring to me. And God is like a lightning rod speaking to my heart right now. And I need forgiveness. I need Jesus to forgive me. I need the hope that you're talking about. I need the forgiveness of God breaking in. I'm all trapped in my sin. It's destroying my marriage. It's destroying my life. And I need hope. Number one, you've got to admit you're a sinner. You've got to admit you're a sinner. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So first step is just admitting that. Admitting that you need Christ. Admitting that you need rescue. Admitting you need the forgiveness of God to break into your life. And the second step is believing that Jesus can actually save you. Not only do you want to confess your sin, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, but you actually have to believe that Jesus can do that. This saying is trustworthy and true that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, among whom I'm chief. So the one who was sitting in prison for Christ one day was confronted by Christ, repented of his sin, admitted his sin before God, Believed Jesus could save him. And he penned the words of Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So pray, if that's you today, and ask God to forgive you. He reminds us that Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved with that kind of faith, that kind of trust. And for us who are believers, there is a great hope for us, a hope that we're reminded of the unstoppable reality of the gospel. We preach an unshakable message of Christ crucified, risen, Paul said, I preach Christ and nothing else. 
In the Gospels, the most un, uh, it's the most powerful, unstoppable message the world has ever heard. And it has penetrated every culture, no matter the language, no matter the, the preconceived traditions, and it reshapes, it penetrates, it transforms from the inside out. And if we have any hope for the cancel culture and the church being bold to proclaim the gospel in this cancel culture, we need to remember that as we are faithful, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. He actually believed, and we should believe too, that the gospel is powerful to save, even in a cancel culture. And even if somebody tries to cancel you for preaching the gospel, it will not be pinned down. It will not be shaken. It will not be stopped because this is the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was the same yesterday, today, and it will be the same forever. And Jesus is working his purposes out in his church. Will we long to be a part of that? And will the Spirit of God blow into our hearts in such a way that produces a revival for proclamation, holy boldness, and a passion to live in the midst of a world of suffering as salt and light for the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, and realize that um, there are some uh, here today who just need a fresh word of encouragement. Um, and I pray that you would baptize with boldness the mothers here who have been discouraged, maybe even over their parenting. I pray, God, that you would give them an encouraging word, a word filled with hope and joy and life and peace. And Lord, that you would build them up to do the task of living for Christ as a shining light to their children. I pray, God, for those in our midst who um, may just be afraid to speak the name of Jesus to family and friends. Give them a boldness. Give them a passion to speak the name of Christ. And Father, I pray for those who maybe have not made Jesus central in their thinking and in their hearts, but they have ultimately um, allowed something else to crowd it out. God, would you grant repentance? Would you grant a renewed passion to make Jesus first in their life? And perhaps those who the Spirit of God has been speaking to about their life before God, about their guilt before God, I pray that they would actually believe the gospel, that they would actually confess their sins and even pray right now, dear God, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ is a powerful Savior. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and make me new. Show me the glorious beauty of the gospel that forgives even the worst of sinners. And Lord, I pray your blessing on our continued time of worship. In Jesus' name. Amen.